0: That was most of the Manhattan March by uh, Sousa. I believe that's in the public domain, a good reason why to choose it. And also, we chose it because, you know, there's a lot going on in New York with the massive amounts of coronavirus cases and the like. But tonight, I would actually like to spend a lot of time dedicated to a theory that I heard about uh, promulgated by a Dr. Cohen uh And he believes and has shown with evidence that many outbreaks historically have started with a increase in radio waves, whether it be across the world, the radio, the Spanish flu in 1918, to the modern coronavirus, which uh, has come along with the advent of 5G and its mass implementation throughout the world. Uh, H1N1 came with the beginning of the iPhone, and obviously we know right after the Second World War, and at the end of the Second World War, with the masses, absolute masses of uh, radios being set up, that there were over, what was it, uh, 400 million people worldwide were got trachoma, the eye infection. So uh, we're just seeing an increase of radio waves being associated with an increase in sickness and an outbreak of some sort of plague. Either way, uh, I have now to once again introduce my co-hosts. For the evening, so... Say hello.
1: Hello.
0: Hello. So, uh... I think at least one of you probably disagrees with me on this, so we can have a nice discussion.
2: What is your stand? Do you think think they're connected?
0: I'm going to say that they are connected, because I think that what we see now with uh, this theory by Dr. Cohen is that he's shown that... The outbreak of these new plagues, and even if they're not new plagues, and the coronavirus is a strain of a, you know, something that's been around before, but we see this mass spread of disease associated with an increase in radio waves in our, uh, in our in our atmosphere across the globe.
1: I will. With you.
0: I, I,
2: I actually I will disagree, but I have just to just to um confess i have not watched the video yet because i I just totally forgot to until about five minutes before the show um but given what you told me before the show i would say no just because post world war just to make a connection there post world war ii um how radios were being set up all over people were also moving all over because you'd people moving and that like everyone going back to you know their homes or all of those refugees in Europe that had been displaced going back to their homes, which would be a great way to spread a disease.
0: And I I will I will concede that point to you. However, the population population. of all of Europe at that point was not four hundred million. I think today all of those countries in continental Europe combined together are only approaching four hundred million. Really? Yes.
2: Weird how like they aren't that populous, yet the US is approaching that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I thought, I mean, the US is, you know, 340 million, but uh, back in the 1940s and 50s, I mean, especially after the 1940s, Europe was definitely severely depopulated. Uh, so yeah, this disease was spreading all over. And, uh, you know, same kind of thing with the Spanish flu, is that we had this mass setup of radios and this mass uh, dissemination of radio waves. I feel like
1: I'm kind of taking sort of an opposite stance that, like, in the modern era, everything is radiation, more or less. Uh, and everything is, like, becoming smart and like oh, this increase of technology. So I feel like if we're going to say that, like, this is causing disease, shouldn't it have caused more by now?
0: You know, that is a valid point, but I'll point to this is the fact that radio waves and waves in general, uh, especially even if at low radiation, mess with the water that composes our systems. And I could understand if they were causing something, one would think that they cause all sorts of ailments and maladies. But I think we also have to recognize at the same time, we've had this mass increase in the advancement of medical technology. So now if you get a cold, you take, uh, you know, there's medicines for that, and then you cold medicine, you just get over it real quickly. It's not the same, as we just kind of had to suffer through it back in the day. And thus, we've seen this increase, growth in technology kind of mostly be able to follow this increase in the output of radio waves. And so we end up with kind of an equal, you know, an equal pushback until we get to this kind of outbreak.
2: I, um... Hmm. I'm not totally sure what to think. I mean, I know there are connections between like holding the cell phones up to your ear on a a call and cancer. Yeah. Or there are there there have been attempts to make that connection, which would make more sense than an outbreak of a variety of different diseases. Like the Spanish flu, actually, is thought to have originated at a military base in Kansas. Fun fact.
0: I've heard that before, and uh, I actually had this argument with my sister today about the origins of the Spanish flu. And I, I found National Geographic and the historians over the History Channel, a historian by the name of Christopher Klein and another historian by the name of Dan uh, Vergano, uh, believe that the uh, Spanish flu actually originated in China. So, and that's kind of interesting to me that the Spanish flu actually appeared to break out so many places simultaneously, just like the, you know, the use of technology. Breaks out everywhere, a lot of places, simultaneously.
1: Also, that is the coronavirus, uh, they actually haven't, as far as I know, haven't identified a patient zero since, like, it feels like about 30 people got it at the same time.
0: E- exactly, and that that's also, I mean, you know, we may never find out the origin of the coronavirus because of how secretive the Chinese government is and how, They've always kept so many things under wraps, so we we don't, we won't know. I don't think we'll ever know who patient zero was for the coronavirus.
2: Yeah, and I, do you see the thing about how if they had acted three weeks prior, like ninety-five percent of cases would have been prevented.
0: I did hear that. I, I did hear that. And just to, and, uh, actually, go go on.
2: Um, you know, people don't know if the guy ate a bat or like the bat need like, or if he just came in contact with it, but. You know, there there have been multiple patient zeros with every um, Ebola outbreak. So I wouldn't say that most outbreaks just manifest themselves. I'd say they're like, it depends on whether or not they can track them. Which, speaking of tracking, that's why Southeast Asia hasn't had that much of a problem. Like, I mean, comparing like South Korea and Singapore to the United States in how they've handled their outbreaks, they can monitor their citizens more because they don't have a constitution that regulates it as strictly as we do
0: that's true is they a lot of these countries don't have you know i hate i hate to say that but civil liberties or civil rights uh which you know is kind of a grim reality of the world that we live in i think that uh the way that we have been dealing with it although somewhat effective is you know a little bit unconstitutional but you know during wars we do extra constitutional things like so i guess some people would say that's justified, but uh you know I just that, that kind of, I mean I remember a few days ago we discussed the uh coronavirus being in, created by the Chinese government. however, you know this one actually seems more plausible to me not not that the coronavirus is like cooked up by five g but that it's spread was due to this you know radio wave thing
1: I feel like this unintentional but like outside cause could that feels more plausible than like the Chinese government is trying to kill us all.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's definitely more more plausible. And, uh, you know, I just thought that that was a good, a good discussion to have on the heels of everything going on in the world, uh, especially with the, you know, I, I would say that the panic, or at least the concern with the coronavirus is still growing worldwide. I don't think we've subsided. I don't think in the United States... I don't think fear is shrinking. I think fear is still growing. And, that, and that's a different problem entirely.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it is... Like, it's getting worse. Um, especially when we're taking a look at, like... Countries like... Italy and... um And others like that. And we see how bad it's gotten there. And we think, oh no, we could be next.
0: Oh yeah, I agree with that. Especially because Italy... uh according to independent surveys has the second best healthcare system in the world, but they just didn't have enough respirators to deal with this. And so they're, they're facing like this eminent collapse of their healthcare system because they didn't, you know, they forgot one sort of key facet of the whole experiment. And so, uh, we're going to see this problem. I think we might see this problem in the United States, but what, what amazes me is that countries who were ultra proactive in this, uh, A country like Poland, for example, only has about 200 cases. Hungary, I think, only has, you know, 200. And Russia, I think, only has 143.
1: Yeah, Yeah. um... um, Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, I also think what's interesting is that, from what I heard, Italy, like, they were in, like, like, a soft lockdown, sort of, but they were still letting their teenagers go outside. And, um that's spread a lot. But if we also look in the United States, a lot of um, current, like, like teens, like in college kids on spring break are being like, are being like l- told they're like irresponsible because they're still going out like during this. And that could potentially also be another thing that like affects it
0: in the US. Oh, I totally agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, we'll, uh, go on.
2: To add on to what Red was saying, I think that actually, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think we talked about this actually. Um, even posted on his Instagram about the young people partying it up in Florida. He was like, get out of the crowds. That's literally how it spreads. You're going to kill off your grandparents. Um, and that's totally accurate. But I don't think it's just that they didn't have enough respirators because I was reading up on the um, New York Times last weekend how they didn't close down as early. Plus, they didn't start producing respirators as soon as they should have like um tesla is going to start making respirators in the next week and um the president has the ability and he's actually resisting to do so at the moment to direct private sector companies to start producing said products because um i'm sure you remember in world war ii how like ford produced the b24 yeah
0: Ford made, you know, bombers and every other company was making bombers and tanks and all sorts of things. And uh, even at the beginning of the war, we were sending them to Britain. So yeah, we definitely had yes. the full power yeah. of American industry coming to bear on in the Second World War. And I, I think yes, um, he
2: can he can invoke those same laws to do to do such a thing as production of respirators.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that the issue we're seeing, especially with compliance is that Americans in our generations or even in uh, the baby boomer generation aren't used to listening to the government. The last generation that was, you know, all hunky-dory with listening to the government was the greatest generation because they had to listen to the government during the Second World War. Uh, But during this baby boomer generation, which grew up during, you know, the older ones grew up to Korea and the younger ones uh, saw the tail end of Vietnam as they were seeing a lot of resistance against what the government said. And so behaving... Uh, not behaving uh, necessarily, but listening to the government is not something that was that they're really used to. And I think the millennial generation was kind of the same way. And thus they're seeing this, you know, the government can't tell me what to do. I'm just going to go do this and whatever.
2: I I think the concept of obedience is not popular in society anymore.
0: No, not at all.
1: I think we're also in a very anti-government era. A lot of, like, younger kids are actively rebelling against, like, the government. And I'm not I'm not going to like put my stance on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's just kind of the general mindset of like the government is bad and like an enemy instead of like the people who are supposed to help us.
0: Yeah. I would say that the, there definitely is a, a large degree of trust that has been lost by the government in, you know, the recent era. Uh, it
1: is kind of their fault, but still.
0: It is their, <laughs> their fault.
2: you uh-huh. draw a parallel there, because um, we were talking about Southeast Asia and Singapore and South Korea um there are cultural differences you know we're much more individualistic as you know people don't like the government they'll go do their own thing um the these Southeast Asian co- um, countries are much more active in the participation of collectivism mm-hmm. so when they go like the government or their elders like do this and like for for the sake of their society they'll do it
0: Yeah, they have more of a kind of Confucian tradition that's based on authority. And our nation simply doesn't have that. The nations of Europe don't really have that either. They're also not to the same degree, obviously, as we are, uh, especially on
1: Mm.
0: certain issues. But I would say that they're also not very receptive to their governments. I know it's actually quite interesting because in Eastern Europe— uh, you know, the former Eastern Bloc nations, their people are actually still very obedient to their government, which I always thought was kind of strange.
2: You would, you would expect the opposite given their history.
0: Yeah, you'd expect uh, the Western European nations with these traditions of uh, freedom, well, at least to some extent, I suppose, uh, to be more obedient to their governments and, you know, treasure their freedoms, but not, I don't know, use them to a certain extent. Meanwhile, in Eastern Europe, where they have the tradition of authoritarianism, that They themselves broke off. I mean, you know, the Hungarians, especially in the polls with solidarity and all the independence movements, you'd expect them to have also that kind of individualistic tradition, but they, they don't. They are willing to obey their governments. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because in, we have in the United States a lot of, a lot of freedoms, I would say, uh, and our people use them to the greatest extent, which is a, a good thing but i think what we have now is we don't have we're not using the freedoms it's simply being ornery for the sake of you know not following what everyone else is doing or something the like Uh, i think you are right on the money
1: it's the american tradition whether it's good or bad it's just the way it is
0: yeah and it, it didn't used to be sorta i mean I would say that this is relatively new, because I know back in the day, and during the Second World War, people were pretty, you know, patriotic and standing with it, and even after, uh, or actually especially after 9-11, people were very patriotic and sticking to it, but in the last 20 years, it's just been completely eroded down.
2: I don't think people, um, actually, I'm going to go on a tangent about nationalism for a minute. I don't think people have something in this country at the moment that really Bonds them. Besides, like maybe you'll see a spike of it, like on July Fourth itself. But like, if we were to go at war or to war, you would see like actually, you could look at Bush's approval rating post nine eleven spiked.
0: Spike um, to like ninety something percent.
2: Yes, and you know people look back in that now and like, oh, maybe we shouldn't. Bernie Sanders, of course, does not did not support war in Iraq or in Afghanistan. Um, so that's just a fun little side note, but i think that if we were to be in a state of war i think people would like the government more because that's just the driving factor that actually drives people together
0: i understand but i think Mm -hmm. we we are kind of in a war we're just not it's just not talked about we're still in a war. i'm gonna have to
1: disagree with you there because um like the united states has been in war basically like for the past 20 years and uh a lot of like there's been a lot of resentment towards it um there's been a lot of like more push, like to think like we should we should really not be in- involving ourselves in like other countries' business, and I think like uh like if you were to try re- to replicate the same thing now as in like nine eleven or the nineteen forties, I don't think that would work necessarily because like a lot of things that like we were proud of like back then we're kind of resentful of now.
0: I mean, definitely. Between... Wait, go, go on. Actually.
2: The difference between the conflicts that have been post 9 11 and then is those are several um non they're non-state organizations like let's say okay so 1941 the japanese empire you know blows up a chunk of Pearl harbor and that is one state that we can focus all of our energy on for you know four to five years and then we're done um in the middle east i actually Reading about this a lot, and Henry Kissinger actually kind of put this out in a good way. Um, we basically have been playing whack-a-mole with a bunch of different um, non-state groups. Some are supported by the Iranian government, and some aren't. But if you like, for a driving factor to unite a country in a like in a state of war, um, for example, would be let's say, and this is completely completely hypothetical. The people, like the People's Republic of China, tomorrow morning completely blows up an aircraft carrier to the South China Sea.
0: Oh, yeah. Unprovoked. We'd definitely be united behind that. And I'm sure it would probably take a few days for everybody to come around, but uh, I know the people would be united pretty quickly, and I understand that point of view, uh, how the nation came together, and we, you know, got Iraq, and that was certainly something. Uh, but we have been at war with a lot, lot of non-state actors for quite a while, and it doesn't have the same sort of effect on the on exactly. American psyche. But... Uh, to that same so we point, we, really we, were clearly, we were clearly at war with North Vietnam, which was a state actor, and it just didn't work. But uh, we were also at war with North Korea, which clearly was a state actor, but, you know, that wasn't as popular either.
2: Yeah, and those were almost, those were, you know, your Cold War proxy wars. And I think Americans are very averse to casualties. And, you know, 9-11 was big because... American people died and people were supportive of it. But as time went on, support waned, similar to how people, people were happy at the beginning of World War I. Cause like, oh, we're going to go on to the grand war. And then, you know, a year later, they're like, holy crap, we're in trenches and everyone's dying. and This is taking forever.
0: I mean, yeah, even America got really sick of it after the war. Cause after the war, if you recall, they put together something called the Nye commission to yes. figure out why actually we joined World War I because in hindsight, it didn't make any sense. Exactly, ah, uh, at least to so, the people at that time.
2: I think that, um, you're because we're not actively at war. Like, there is no current declaration at war besides the Korean issue, which is kind of weird at this point because there's an armistice, but there was never a peace treaty. Um, but I think are different when you're dealing with a state group or a non-state group that you know goes on YouTube and like. You had your ISIS guy threatening to behead Americans. You know, people were really mad about that, but that wasn't, like, an entire nation, say, like, attacking U.S. sovereign territory.
0: Exactly, and I would say that that's probably why uh, the fear of ISIS grew to the maximum when there was a physical ISIS state. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you'll remember, oh, I forget, I think 2015, when there was, like, a physical caliphate that stretched all the way from uh yeah that was aleppo like a third of from,
2: syria and iraq
0: yeah it was like a third of syria and at least a third now i would say like half of Syria and like a third of iraq was under the control of the caliphate and so that's when we were really concerned about it is because it was actually you know like the size of a country and it had an yes. army and we were afraid of it because it was besieging mosul it was you know it was besieging aleppo and it seemed to have all this territory and that's why even though the war didn't have a lot of continuous borders and a lot of territory was up for grabs. When people colored in all this land as ISIS land, we were very concerned because it wasn't like with the Taliban, where they were just kind of, you know, booked up in some mountain somewhere. It was yeah. a clear physical caliphate.
2: So I think that, like, uh, if the American population was to be completely united, it wouldn't be—or maybe it would, a temporary measure like that would be— this is going to be totally conspiracy theory that Bush did 9/11, um, but Boy. which he clearly did. He clearly did not. I'm just going to make that kind of as clear as possible. Um, like that was great for uniting the country, but that was still a non-state group, so there was no, and that caused a lot of Arab racism that was un, that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I think you would agree with that.
0: Yeah, but, and that's why we we had to direct the anger at somebody. So we just directed it right back at Saddam.
2: Yes which he never actually had weapons of mass destruction, so...
0: No, he did not. That was
2: that was unfortunate. The,
0: the only... I mean, it was the information we had that he had weapons of mass destruction came from, like, a Nigerian newspaper. <laughs> it, it was... And they handed it to Colin Powell, and they made him lie in front of the UN, and, you know, he's still resentful of that. But I think that the American people were so easily convinced that there were weapons of mass destruction, not because the American people are stupid or uh, susceptible. I think people, especially experts remembered that in the in the Iran Iraq war that Iraq had these you know i would say these bootleg ICBMs known as scuds yes and so a lot of people who were told that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction uh they weren't dumb they were just they were number one being lied to and two any any of them who had a knowledge of you know recent military history thought that Iraq had you know you know Put these scuds together to create some sort of cheap nuclear bomb.
2: By the way, um, those scuds are terribly ineffective against the United States.
0: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure we could have like, shot them down with. No, you know, even the one the Star time Wars
2: they stuff. actually, the one time they actually hit like American troops was on accident. Really? Yes.
1: Amazing.
2: Because I mean, we basically took out their. um I'm pretty sure this was Gulf War One when we kind of brought out stealth stealth tech.
0: Oh, did they try to use Um, scuds on us during the first Gulf War?
2: I'm pretty sure it didn't work very well because we took out all their air defenses in like a night.
0: Yeah. And... uh, It was like... Go on.
2: It was like our um, little post-Cold War rust-shaking exercise.
0: It was actually quite interesting because I believe that Saddam was still using Soviet weaponry.
2: Yes, he was using basically all the... All the Soviet stuff. So it was, and this was allegedly um, Baghdad was as or more well defended than Moscow. So the fact that we kind of went in there and like blew stuff up and then left really confused a lot of people.
0: I mean, I I agree with you. I think that the United States carries out very impressive military actions quite frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a lot of them go ignored. That's not saying we should do them, because obviously a lot of this stuff we do must we we must recognize that a lot of these wars going on in the Middle East we we shouldn't have started. Yes. The only reason we got ISIS is because we removed Saddam. The only reason we got uh the terrorist groups in Libya was because we removed Gaddafi.
2: Which I Gaddafi was even more pointless in removing Saddam Hussein because. I mean, he was going a little like obviously he was authoritarian, mm-hmm. and he was doing some like very unwesternized things. Yeah, but I, I still, I'm still a fan of the Westphalian idea of sovereignty.
0: I mean, I think what we must realize is that regime change wars are 99.9 percent of the time a horrible idea. they oh, end up yeah. with just another yeah. regime
2: or just warlords.
0: Yeah. And I think we actually must make a distinction between, like, a national leader and a warlord, which is com- some kind, sometimes kind of fuzzy, like, especially in the case of Gaddafi. Yeah, I would, I would. Yeah, we. I mean, was he a warlord? Was he, you know, because his title was still, like, Colonel Gaddafi, so it was, you know, always fuzzy. And he denuclearized. We had actually convinced him to denuclearize. And when we immediately removed him from power afterwards, I think we sent a bad message to other authoritarian regimes that we could have cooperated with or tried to get them to westernize or get them to westernize upon the death of that person, yeah, person like uh Franco in Spain where he handed it off and you know a democratic government ascended after you know Franco left we could have had those kinds of models where they would you know gradually move we could have if we didn't do that to Gaddafi we we could have laid the groundwork for you know a future democratic regime i think in the koreas it would have made negotiations easier
2: I don't think it would have worked in the Korea in like North Korea because to look at how like East and West Germany united post Cold War. Um, there's still like lingering divisions between the two, but they didn't really worship like the East Germans did not worship their leadership.
0: No, they did not worship Eric Honecker. I will agree.
2: The, um, the North or the people's Republic of North or just the people's Republic of Korea. Um, completely worships like all of their leaders
0: yeah it's so it's, it's to, kind of strange
2: to i like just to actually did you ever watch the interview
0: i did i actually did get to watch the interview
2: um just the way that um i forget which i think it was seth rogan um the way he kind of removed um the leader's idea of divinity just shocked him. And if I, I don't think it would be exactly like that if, they, if he was to abdicate,
0: mm.
2: but it would be something similar. To, it would be a reaction that would be similar.
0: I mean, I think that we have this sort of weird... Uh, I mean, the divisions in East and West Germany today are still huge. Like, if you look at, you know, election results in East yes. and West Germany... You have the Alternative for Deutschland party, which is, uh, you know, a, a more kind of authoritarian uh, right-wing party, is very popular in Eastern Germany, not very popular in Western Germany. And at the same time, you have like the, a party that is to the left of the SDP, Die Linke, the left, being you know supremely popular only in Eastern Germany. And it's, and the same thing as if you look at a map of religion, uh, you'll see atheism, you'll see it in big cities in the west, and you'll see unaffiliated. Populate the entire eastern half of Germany because many of the people, even if they are religious, are still uncomfortable telling the government about their religion.
2: Yeah. So I don't. I don't think that would really work in the Koreas unless like something crazy happened.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you, but I I mean like if if, for example, if uh during the middle, I remember a few years. Uh, actually, maybe this is only a year ago. Uh. When we were, when the administration was making a little bit of a breakthrough in talks with North Korea, John Bolton goes on TV and it's like, "Yeah, we're looking at the Gaddafi model," which immediately made it sound like we were going to take him out right after he gave up his nuclear weapons. <coughs> I think, yeah, would, I, I think those talks would have worked out better if John Bolton had not been a, been able to go. I on wonder day, if that's why he model. left.
2: I, I wonder if that's why he left.
0: I I would have fired him for that, but then again, I, I'm not an interventionist, so I, I would. I wouldn't want John Bolton there in the first place.
2: Trump really isn't an interventionist, and I think that's why Bolton ended up
0: it, It's always kind of confused me what Trump's view was on interventionism. I
1: don't
0: because think he isn't... It necessarily... Oh, go ahead. Um,
1: thank you. Uh, I don't think it necessarily matters if it, like, would have worked or not in, like, Korea, but, like, with, like, Gaddafi and stuff and all that jazz. But um, I feel like setting that precedent of, like, being willing to negotiate, because, like countries like where we like have had to like kind of like we've stepped in in the past they hate us and a lot of other countries hate america and america hates america for that like that reason so i feel like so much could have been like different if we had just like kind of done what we said instead of blowing things up them in the american fashion
0: yeah i think that we definitely made a lot of the world not trust us with what we did in relation to, you know, regime change is that we, you know, we put Saddam there in the first place. Yeah. And then we decided yeah, we, did. we didn't like him anymore, and then we got rid of him. It was... You know, Afghanistan kind of our fault with the CIA. Yeah, I mean, it's a little known fact, and it's probably not a very popular fact, that we, we armed the Taliban. Yes. Uh, starting with the... I think it was starting with the Carter administration, we started arming the Taliban.
2: I think it was Carter. I, I I may be wrong.
0: I think I'm pretty sure it was Carter because that that was the Soviet invasion. Yeah, so Carter, you know, armed the Taliban. The Taliban, in turn, armed Al Qaeda. And so, it's depressing that in that we had all these misguided attempts. And you know, on that on that same coin, we also during the Reagan administration, we had the whole Iran Contra affair. And
2: oh, I was wondering if you were going to bring that
0: up. Yeah, we did have the Iran Contra affair, and that's you know that whole thing was definitely, without a doubt, a sticky situation. But we, it's very weird to think about because it's not like uh, during the Cold War, the proxy wars, and this is why it was hard to get the American populace to support them. Were all ideological.
2: Yeah, it was all um, it was all still going off of Eisenhower's domino theory.
0: Yeah, it's like, if, it's like, if we yeah. let another country fall to communism, then there will be another country that falls to communism, and another country that falls to communism. Uh,
2: I mean, and we never really found out if that was accurate, because we kind of went sicko mode.
0: Yeah, we did. We just tried to stamp out communism wherever it appeared. And, you know, I think it's actually interesting, is that after the Second World War, uh, Maurice Torres won the election in France, or I don't know if he got a working parliamentary majority, but at the very least he had the most seats in the French parliament and he was of the communist party.
2: Yes. I actually was reading that on like Wikipedia, like a day ago. Yeah.
0: It's, you know, it's disconcerting that historically, uh, so I, I actually don't think that the domino theory necessarily would have applied in Europe, because a lot of these Western Europe, like France, for example, has the kind of, I would not say a revolutionary tradition, but I guess I would imply a revolutionary tradition of throwing out its government every few years.
2: They do that a lot. I mean, I, I, I never really understood Cold War France, because they didn't really seem to do much compared to, like, you know, the UK seemed to be somewhat proactive, and then France, starting with de Gaulle, just seemed to be sticking... Gets everybody else.
0: I mean France had a lot of internal troubles at that time, and that's why we are on the fifth Republic now. After the after is, the is it the fifth. No, I think we're are we still at the fourth? No, I think I think we're still at the No, I, maybe we're still at the fourth. Either way, what it was look that up. is that the are we at the fifth Republic? Are we the, Yes. Oh, we are at the Fifth Republic. Okay, that Started means in nineteen
2: fifty eight, so we're, we're doing somewhat yeah. good.
0: So the fourth oh, the Fourth Republic was founded after World War II, and the Fourth Republic fell apart. And so, you know, it just, France has this sort of revolutionary tradition, and we saw with the yellow vests, you know, that there still is yeah, this I... mass resistance against the government, and I think <clears throat> we might have inherited that kind of tradition, it, it's possibly yeah. we inherited that tradition from France, because France was crucial into the birth of the United States.
2: Yeah, I actually had to write a paper on this um, for my history class a couple weeks ago on the difference between France and the United States when it came to the revolutions around that time. Um, and Edmund Burke can completely and utterly condemn the French Revolution uh, because the French, when they seem to rebel, don't seem to do it smooth. Like, obviously, revolutions are not smooth actions, but um, they seem to go a little bit overboard and then have to veer back into, into a resting position.
1: The guillotine?
2: The, the guillotine is one example I'm and sure one is
0: I'm sure you mean the national razor. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they called it. They called it the national razor.
2: You know what? Never forget the National Committee on Public Safety.
0: It did the exact opposite of what its name advertised, but on that same note, I'm still reminded that the last president of France before Emmanuel Macron... Was a man by the name of Francois Hollande who went to an international assembly, uh, said that there was no God, and then on his flight home had his plane struck by lightning.
1: That's the way it goes.
0: I mean, it, it was quite interesting because he he had the all these marital issues, and so it actually ended with his wife throwing his, like his suitcase and his clothes out of the window of the French presidential mansion
2: so just a thought for, wait you would hope that those windows would have been like bulletproof or something
0: yeah um, you really would but
2: you know the, the the striking by lightning thing that you just mentioned you would have hoped that would have been like his Saul the paul moment but unfortunately not
0: I, I don't think i don't think it was i mean
2: but you know what i'm talking about right
0: yeah um uh, you know the Saul becoming paul the blinding
2: just, you know, he was just chilling on a plane and that ended up being his road to Damascus.
0: Yeah, uh... He
1: changed his name.
0: I don't know how you change your name from Francois. It, it was... It was... So many... France is just such a weird country, politically. I mean, I I love France culturally. You know, I love France culturally. French culture is very interesting to study. French politics are an absolute dumpster fire. However... Uh, i think we're kind of one to talk at that point
1: as we speak from the other dumpster fire saying hello to our dumpster fire friends
0: yeah I, I suppose that those who live in glass houses ought not throw stones but i'm going to throw stones anyways because everyone's in their house right now and that's not able to throw stones
2: uh-huh. <laughs> Do you see the thing i sent you about um, back in my day we used toilet paper on our enemies
0: <laughs> <laughs> i I did remember that at a certain yeah you're gonna be sitting back in a in a few years or a few yeah like a a, dec, a t- decade or two telling your kids you know back in my day toilet paper was so cheap that we used to you know throw it on the houses of our enemies as some sort of sick joke
2: <laughs> you know actually i've actually done that
1: no way <laughs>
0: You've told your children you have have children, and you've told them about the price of toilet paper. No, 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 no. (laughs) I've actually, actually, no, no. Um. (laughs) I'm not sure which one of those would be more damning at this point. In all honesty,
2: (laughs) no. I, I, um, freshman year was a good one when we did TP's and houses. Oh boy, we're not. We're gonna refer to Discord names only now.
0: Yes, yes, we are, but. Uh, I, I assume that's now outside of the statute of limitations, so good job.
2: I mean, is there a statute of limitations for TPAing Houses?
0: I, I mean, I'm sure there is. You might have to look it up, though. I don't I don't know.
2: Oh.
1: Uh,
0: but either way, I'm going to continue, because I'm going to bring this back up just because I want to know if you have any new talking points on it. I'm going to continue to blame mass outbreaks on the advent of 5G satellites.
1: That's
0: what
1: we're um, talking about, isn't it? <laughs>
2: SpaceX is like launching. They're launching like the Starlink type broadband internet, but it's not online yet. So I don't think you can blame it for anything just yet. I mean, except for um, some astronomers were complaining that as you cloud the not not really cloud. I can't, but I can't think of a better word or maybe obstruct their no. view from Earth with these low orbit satellites um, because there's going to instead of being like you know just a few dozen like really big ones he's doing like thousands of small ones
0: yeah there there have been 25,000 new 5G satellites that have been launched
2: yes and a over Elon over, Musk over, is,
0: over half of which are now operational
2: yes and Elon Musk is just getting started with that and i think that he's aiming for SpaceX to make most of its revenue from that and then continue space launches which would be really cool to have broadband internet anywhere but i don't think we're ready to start pointing fingers at 5G specifically because, I mean, no, no iPhone has 5G capability, and only the new Samsung Galaxy has it.
0: No iPhone has 5G yeah, capability man. yet.
1: And um, a lot of, like, the, uh, the Wi-Fi, uh, like, labeled as 5G, I don't know it, how that's different from, like, 5G Internet. or if It's, like, the same thing. I'm not smart. But <laughs> um, um, a lot of it doesn't work in a lot of places. And, like, my house... Uh, as I said before the show, I am surrounded by bricks and trees, and, um, I cannot get a, like, a, um, like a, like, a cell signal, and so I depend on Wi-Fi, but we did have, like, a 5G, like, Wi-Fi network, but that doesn't work with the bricks in our house, c- um, so we have to use, like, a one with, a, like, a slower, uh, like, wavelength, so it'll point actually point
2: verification.
1: <laughs> <delicate>. um,
2: okay. <laughs> The five G network you're using in your house, that's not actually five G, that's five gigahertz. That's just the frequency that they're using. Um, that's just oh. like, okay, so Wi Fi uses either five gigahertz or two point four gigahertz usually. And five yeah. gigahertz works for higher speeds, lower latencies, but it goes
0: a lesser distance.
1: Five gi before I did not I d I didn't I don't know what I'm talking about, but you yeah. know
0: that, that is you're just good. to be clear, that is divorced from you know, dissimilar to the 5G, we're talking about the cellular 5G.
2: Yes, cellular 5G
0: is a very different thing. Yeah. Of course they have deceptively similar names, because we're not supposed to understand that kind of thing.
2: We're not supposed to be computer scientists, we're just high schoolers. We are just for high now. schoolers. Indeed. Although, you know, I, I'm very confused on how long we're still going to be high schoolers, mister Smigley. because <laughs> or Ed, um, sure, because... You know, did you see the governor's tweet about how somehow anything public schools are doing online somehow still can't?
0: Yeah, I I don't know how it's going to be changed considering the fact that, you know, they were talking about making it so that the work would count or the work wouldn't count and so now we're just kind of in this weird limbo land where it, like it counts if you do it but it doesn't count if you don't do it and if, Actually, if you've if you've met any high schoolers, they're not going to do it.
1: They're not going to do it.
2: And here's the other thing though is because I know people were saying like, oh, it only count if you do it. But that still um, is discriminatory. Because I emailed one of my teachers and I was like, hey, you know, can you just explain this? Because everyone has different opinions. And they're like, from what we've been told, it's co- like basically if you do it, you're quote unquote academically enriching yourself. So it doesn't actually count towards your grade because it's cheating, or it's not cheating. It's discriminating against people that because you know we're bound by the rules of a public school or a public education by The state government, which is thereby, you know, with the the, supremacy, excuse me, the supremacy clause you have, federal government, that all has to be equal and like not discriminating. So it's still discriminating against people with IEPs and don't have internet access.
1: This is so confusing.
2: So the governor may say it'll still count, but the U.S. Department of Education, thank you Betsy DeVos, um, says no it doesn't.
0: That's actually kind of oh. interesting. It, that'd be interesting to see Betsy DeVos use the supremacy clause against Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, that'd be very strange, in my opinion. That would be
2: very strange. Because they yeah. definitely know each other.
0: Oh, yeah, they do. Both Michiganders.
2: It's going to
1: make Sunday grunge so awkward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because, you know, the DeVos family is somewhat large. And then Whitmer's dad, I believe, ran, like, Blue Cross Blue Shield at one
0: point. Oh, and so they definitely know each other. Yeah. That's, that's awkward. That's... That's oh, very awkward. Boy. Either way. Uh, it, it, anyway. It's less
1: like like worrying, more funny funny watching the dumpster fire of education right now, since I'm a sophomore. And regardless of what happens, I'm gonna be in um school for a very long time. But you two are seniors and should be quite worried, that is your right. But um <coughs> and,
0: <laughs> Yay! I think uh, I think as a know, proud attendee, happen? I think as a proud attendee of private school that we might just have summer school. I think you'll end
2: up being fine because you're private. And you're not bound by the same. Rules. I know. So
0: I think that online school, they're just going to say, you know, we don't have to obey you. Ha ha ha. We're just going to do online classes now.
2: And I think I think you'll end up being fine, but I'm going to be really annoyed if like I end up having, like, 35 college credits, but I still haven't graduated from high school. Awkward. Because they, like, will still be holding... Like, okay, if they don't make anything count until June or July, there's no way they're going to let us, like, escape without, like, pretty much over half a semester of school.
0: Yeah, that would be supremely strange, in my opinion, and I don't think that they would allow that to continue, I think that what they will do is they will either make mandatory summer school, or they will—I mean, that—that's really the only thing I can see—is mandatory summer school.
1: Uh, I think even more of a bummer is I think this is going to extend further than the uh, the April sixth like deadline that we have. Oh, it right will for sure. And um, there has been rumors of this going on, like the rest of the school year being canceled, but. How would that even work?
0: Nobody knows. Really, Kansas already canceled the rest of the school year. Yep. Oh, boy.
1: That's concerning, because, like, a lot of people aren't upset about the um, educational aspect, because, you know, who cares? They're upset, because, like, there's, like, a real potential. I may never get to see, like, some of my friends ever again.
2: Well, I think those are things that we just have to take in consideration when there's, like... So pandemic. Kansas even... did. Yeah. And, and like nobody US... nobody, nobody likes it and wants to force people to do that, but like, social distancing is the best option we have for now. I mean, this is what happens when you don't have vaccines for things.
1: Yeah, and I feel like overall as a society, like, we, this, we should take this as a sign. Like, we need to be more prepared for this sort of thing. Because this is, like, shown, like...
2: I think wait. you'll see... A lot more—not surveillance, but just like tighter monitoring. Okay, I guess you could say surveillance. Um, of government borders and just entry points. Which is funny because the Trump supporters may end up winning out on tighter borders because we're still not entirely sure how everybody that got to the U.S. with coronavirus got here.
0: That—that's a and good point. Is we're not we're
2: not sure
1: how they got here. Has fed into the uh, Trump agenda.
2: And SARS, um, SARS somehow got in here by via Mexico.
0: That's, I actually didn't know that. that.
2: Yeah, it was SARS or it was MERS. And and MERS was the one that came out of, I think it was Saudi Arabia.
0: I got to tell you, is that with these types of things, securing our entry and exit points not necessarily the border like that you know the physical border but like our ports our entry and exit points especially in states like california new york and washington i think they might take start taking higher priority on our list in all honesty yeah
1: i feel like um like having a secure border like if you think about it objectively isn't necessarily like a bad thing but like inevitably it's going to be used like for discrimination like, uh, after 9-11, a lot of, like, Muslims were, like, uh, discriminated against and, like, weren't, like, were um, treated differently when coming into the United States. And this might be, like, um airing, like ushering in a new era of being, like, of, like, anti-Chinese sentiment where, like, we're going to be racist against Chinese people. And that's really, like, awful thing to think about, but it might happen.
0: It's kind of interesting because on, on the flip side, we have to recognize now that China is the Soviet Union of our generation. Yes. They are a global superpower directly competing with us that would kind that are trying to exert their influence on other countries. We've seen them exert their influence and flex their military muscle and their economic muscles in Africa. And we've kind of taken a back seat and let it happen. We're not we're no longer trying to economically influence people. That's how we should be trying to exert influence, not through guns and tanks and uh
2: regime change
0: but through economic investment and development and so we are not recognizing china's fighting this cold war against us and we're not fighting them back
2: the problem is that um economic imperialism is no longer really smiled upon by the powers that be in the united states and a lot of like okay we have ethics that the chinese government doesn't have or doesn't need to have
0: and that's the same way the
2: soviets did neither
0: I'd agree with you, and I wouldn't call this economic imperialism. I would just call it investment. We should be more open to investing in these small countries and in these developing countries, because if we don't, we're going to lose them to the Chinese. Uh, And I would say that we are a much better option than the Chinese, because the Chinese have an interesting blend, uh, and I would say a devious blend of communism selective communism and capitalism
2: yeah they have a weird mix ever since nixon went over there and opened the borders
0: i mean i i would dare say that china is worse than the soviet union on some cases because unlike the soviet union and more like nazi germany they're targeting an ethnic minority well i guess non-stalinist soviet union because we know stalin did target the ukrainians but uh, China has targeted the Uyghurs, an ethnic minority yes. in Xinjiang, uh, and put, I think, is it what, three or five million of them in, dare I say, concentration camps.
2: They, 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 they essentially are. They're concentration camps in everything but the name.
0: Yeah. So you, say-
2: you definitely could say that. And, um, actually, there is a, co- there's an, um, my church that met at a, co- at a quote, education camp in china so those yes so those definitely are a thing
1: that's such a weird thing to think about
0: i mean we know north korea has had concentration camps for a long time and these these concentration camps that the chinese have are at a much larger scale and have millions of people in them on and we've kind of been ignoring it which is very strange and Um, it's not just
2: the american people that ignore it but the media like, that,
0: okay. that's, that's the real crime, I would say, is that the media has continued to ignore the plight of the Uyghurs and the cruelty that the Chinese government has been trying to exterminate them. Mm-hmm.
2: I think you could almost compare um, the issue with the ethnic minority in China, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce because I know I'll butcher it, and the Armenians almost. I mean, I don't think the numbers compare just yet because mm-hmm. we don't actually have any numbers for the Chinese that are exactly but I mean, yeah, I, mean and, genocide. I mean, yeah, borderline genocide or just discrimination against, and then ends up like government sponsored camping. If you want to be nice about it. um,
0: Yeah. It, it's really a travesty. It's uh, annoying that the media won't mention it. I, I remember watching the democratic debate between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden, I could tell was on the cusp of mentioning it. I, Saw that he was, you know, not going to take that low blow when Senator Sanders complimented the Chinese government uh, on improving the GDP. But I'm disappointed that the moderators didn't mention, you know, hey, Bernard, they have concentration camps.
1: Well, we, I think we need to take a look at like what happens when people do mention it because a case happened on the, uh, uh, like Chinese, like, like a corporation owned app, TikTok, where, um, like, they uh, take down a lot of content around there, and there's one girl who, uh, she was, like, pretending like, to do, like, a makeup tutorial of some sort, but in the middle of it, she, like, um, she started talking about, like, this, um, like, what was going on, and they took down her video.
2: Yeah, government censorship in the Chinese Republic is obviously a thing, and then, I think, um, Ed, you would agree with me on this, that they have a they have this principle of saving face.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: So, you know, if you you can't call me out because that'll make me upset and look not good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something we have to recognize is that our generation, especially now, I, I don't use it. And I'm, I'm glad I don't use it, especially after finding all this information about the Chinese government, is that we're ignoring as a nation this massive amount of influence that the Chinese have exerted over our next generation. Because we have to remember that they're censoring content on their media platforms and trying to promote their message. So it's kind of like we've allowed a huge subversive element into our society without really checking it. We're not checking it as we checked the Soviet Union. We're not attempting to catch up to China. We're not attempting to beat China. We're not attempting to curb their influence across the world. So we've allowed this new Soviet-type enemy, which is much stronger than the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union by the mid-1980s only had half of our GDP, China yeah. was poised, and probably if, uh, without the coronavirus, if we had suffered this economic downturn and they had not gotten the coronavirus, we, our GDP would probably be behind theirs, in all honesty.
2: Yeah. Um, I think that an issue that I'm going to, I think I just totally forgot what I was going to mention. Hold on. I continue. I totally lost track.
0: Anything to say, red?
1: I do not. I'm trying to look up the video so uh, I can send it to you.
0: Okay. Thank you. But... Oh, yeah. Um, Go
2: on. The U.S. government has tried to curb such expansionism because, you know, you'd see what we tried to do with Huawei and the Europeans were like, you're wrong. We're not going to listen to that. And then, bingo.
0: Yeah, and, and thank you, Reg you just sent me this. this is A TikTok, TikTok makeup tutorial goes viral with call to action on China's uh, I'd have to click on the link now. Hopefully the video.
1: China's treatment of uh uh Uyghurs. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uyghur Muslims.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so we have this group that has been a, a persecuted and marginalized minority group. And this girl, uh, you know, God bless her, mentions that these this minority has gone through great troubles and has been uh put in concentration camps by the Chinese government and the Chinese controlled website apps app takes it down because they don't want that information. And we, uh, I know the Trump administration has taken some steps and I know the Obama administration took the beginning of those steps, but we really need to redouble our efforts to retake control of the narrative. We need to re take control of this international narrative. We need to make sure that the Chinese government doesn't continue increasing its stranglehold on media markets and on technological development. We really need to catch up. Uh, I remember this was actually a big deal. Andrew Yang was talking about it, is that our we have not had an Office of Technological Development uh, since like the 90s. And China continues their Office of Technological Development. So we're very far behind in that kind of thing.
2: And I wonder, because you know people talk about military development of artificial intelligence and stuff. I think the United States has this knack at least going off past events, including how we're talking about the Gulf War, uh, having things that they just don't talk about, and then when they need them, they just magically use them. So, like, you talk about how we don't have an office of um, technological development. We have DARPA, and we have the Department of Defense, and we have, you know, NASA and all that. Mm -hmm. And, like, for example, this, I think it was called the X-37B that Boeing made for NASA. It went to space for, like, a year for the Air Force and nobody's really sure what it was doing up there and it's not public. So I think that like people would like to say that we're behind in artificial intelligence but I'm sure that we have had contracts and Microsoft and Amazon have been big with this um, with their contracts with the US government. I think that you could actually, fun fact, Amazon Web Services powered the CIA for a while and I'm pretty sure it still does. And that,
0: that, I would say that's actually another thing that's concerning to me, at least, is that, and I and I hate to say this almost, but we have to recognize that the, we want to make the billionaires in our country patriotic. But my fear is that, historically, just the same, is that the ultra-rich are less prone to patriotism than everyone else.
2: Bezos actually was, um, when there was that backfire about Operation Navidad, with the Google employees um, being very upset that they were helping out with drone footage, yeah, because they actually the um, Pentagon contracted out Google to go through drone footage and kind of make algorithms to sort it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because you know they have this large volume of surveillance footage, and they were like, "Okay, look for things that are actually interesting in this." And, you know, they they did that. Bezos actually condemned that whole thing, and they were like, "I'm gonna just look up. I gotta. I don't think I'll be able to find the quote." Within the um, time limitations of the rest of the podcast, because it's it's been an hour now.
0: Ah, uh, we'll but we'll talk more about this tomorrow because this is actually quite an interesting topic.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bezos actually said, you know, support the American government and just your nation as a whole.
0: If if that's if that's true, and I and I think that probably is true, uh, then I then I would have a newfound respect for Jeff Bezos, and I never thought I'd say that before. Uh but you know, we will definitely talk more tomorrow. We're going to talk a lot more about the development of technology, how the U S compares to China and, you know, just generally Chinese expansionism throughout the world and what we can do as a nation to combat it, how we can combat the influence of the Chinese government in social media and in our everyday lives. So everybody, thank you for joining this episode of the daily diatribe. Uh, this this is episode eight. Um, Yeah, today was our one-week anniversary, in case you miss it. uh, Remember to, you know, like, subscribe, and share with everybody. And so what I would actually say is that we're actually probably going to be talking about this for a few episodes, is that the increased Chinese influence on the global stage, and for the actual outro song, uh, I actually don't really have an idea for an outro song, so uh, any suggestions, guys, you can unmute yourself because I've forgotten. Actually, you know what? I'm just gonna look up a random song. Uh I'm just gonna do an instrumental song. Uh yeah, let's just do this. Alright, thank you. Good night, everybody, and night. God bless you. God bless America. <laughs>